And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, force five. Welcome to the Force 5 Podcast, a show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we discuss our picks on air. I'm your host, Jason Kleberg, and today my guest is one of my best friends, photographer, editor, director, Sean Aguilar. And we're going to be talking about some documentaries. Before we get to that, I want to talk about a few things that I saw this week. The first movie I saw this week I saw because of my wife. She's currently working towards one of her degrees, and she's taking a Chicano-American film class, for which she has to watch a list of selected films. One of those is from 1989, and it's called Stand and Deliver. Stay awake as you're waking up. Wake up this morning, how are you? Bring toothpicks. You pinch open your eyes. Can we talk about sex? We discuss sex, I have to give sexual homework. <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I was you. I'd lose a finger, I won't be able to count to ten. At a tough school, someone had to take a stand, and someone did. Now the critics stand up and cheer for Stand and Deliver. Terrific, tremendous, gripping and compelling, more exciting than La Bamba. Almost gives a wonderful performance, declares Jack Crow, Newsweek. Enormously inspiring and very rewarding. Almost gives the first great performance of the year. Jeffrey Lyons, sneak previews. This is a biopic of Jaime Escalante, a charismatic high school teacher who successfully motivated his dropout-prone students to take the advanced placement calculus exam at a troubled school in Los Angeles. I thought I'd jump in and watch this one with my wife, uh, because I hadn't seen it since I was probably very young. I imagine it was when it first came out on VHS, and I didn't remember a thing about it. Watching this in 2021, the film treads well-worn roads that you've probably seen many times by now in movies like Dangerous Minds. The inspiring teacher that takes over a class of 'er ne'er-do-wells, surprising everyone, including the students, along the way. The stakes are very similar to movies like I mentioned or Dead Poet Society, right? Realistic, grounded, and possible. The clear standout here is Edward James Olmos, one of the most prolific Hispanic actors of all time. He plays Jaime Escalante with such unassuming swagger that you can't help but root for him. He's sharp as a tack, passionate about what he does, and seems just so relatable to the small group of teenagers whose society has just about given up on. The students in his class are all great in their parts. Lou Diamond Phillips stands out as Angel, a kid torn between the stereotypical tough guy route and the opportunities that Escalante's teachings may provide. Overall, it's an engaging account of one teacher's quest to change the lives of his class against all odds. And looking at the film in 2021, it's still an infuriating documentation of systemic racism that, 25 years later, still lives on. While the themes and the characters are all fleshed out very nicely, this was Ramon Menendez's first film, and that's apparent, specifically in regards to directorial decisions and the way it was edited. For example, there's a subplot between two of the students who start as classmates, turn into more, break up, and make up in very short scenes that feel so disconnected, and if you took these scenes out of the film, it would make no difference whatsoever. Some of the scenes also quickly jump to other parts of the student's journey without much explanation, leaving me scrambling to figure out why they were in a different classroom all of a sudden. I also thought that for dramatic effect, the stakes could have been shown to be a bit higher regarding those who took a different path. We never see the consequences of those who didn't stick around in Escalante's class, 
And yes, this is probably more true to life, but there were plenty of dramatic liberties taken when it came to the students of the class, none of which were based on real people aside from a young girl who worked at her family's restaurant. I'd have liked to see more of the Path of Angels friend Chuko after he walked out on Mr. Escalante. To sum it up, Standin delivers the powerful, mostly true story about one teacher's quest to make a difference with his math class. The minds sitting in our nation's classrooms can be molded with the right people at the helm. Although the technical aspects could use some fine-tuning, this is still a film worth watching in 2021. I also finished the first season of Amazon's new anthology series, Them. This home is ours. This is how it begins, with one family. They came from someplace worse. We'll have to make this place worse. What's worse than worse? Heard them folks in Compton straight up evil, man. Fuck this. There's something bad in this house. This is a series that focuses on terror in America, and the first season is set in 1950s Compton, as we follow an African-American family who drives across the country in search of a better life. Unfortunately, the all-white community doesn't embrace them, and there may also be supernatural forces at play. Them is an extremely effective horror journey, and fans of Jordan Peele's films Get Out and Up... Up? No, not Up. Us. Us. Jordan Peele did not direct Up but that would have been tight. Uh, the direction is amazing, the cinematography is immaculate, and the acting is fantastic. The Emery family has four members, each of whom deal with external forces trying to tear them apart. The youngest is haunted by an old teacher, perhaps because she's trying to live up to her parents' expectations in the shadow of her older sister. Ruby, the aforementioned sister, is haunted by a white teen as she struggles with being black and her desire to fit in. Then we have Henry the Patriarch, He's haunted by a racist Sambo doll dealing with his guilt over not being in the right place at the right time. And then there's the mother, Lucky, trying to hold everything together while dealing with a horrible tragedy that befell them in North Carolina. Every actor in the show is fantastic, but Ashley Thomas and Deborah Ayorinde as Henry and Lucky are simply brilliant in every way. The show is filled with moments of emotional heft that they seem to handle with perfection and ease. The way the fears come to life is jarring and definitely scary, even if they don't always make sense. Episode 9 is a black and white look at a situation that happened years before to try and shed light on the supernatural aspects, but those don't really come together in a satisfying way. Of course, the true horror of them comes in the form of the all-white neighborhood that simply cannot see past skin color. The extremely racist members of the community come off as overblown characters of human beings instead of actual people with feelings, but I have to believe this was intentional. The ringleader of the PTA here is Betty Wendell, perfectly played by Alison Pill. She's a horrid woman filled with hate, scarred by a bad childhood, and pained by her inability to have children with her deceitful husband. She and the rest of the neighborhood do everything they can to get the Emerys to hate living there, hoping that at some point they'll have had enough and will leave on their own volition. Unfortunately, Betty's story goes on a bonkers tangent that just sort of ends in a very weird and unsatisfying way. I think that the writers were trying to parallel her situation of captivity to the Emerys, but it just did not land for me. 
This show will leave you seething. It will leave you furious, and you will be speechless for hours. And that was actually one of the issues that I had with it. The show is a downtrodden push where there's really no release valve, no light in the tunnel of depression that it's shoving you through, beating you down along the way. Episode 5 is especially tough and actually left me thinking, do I want to endure five more hours of this? And when it's all said and done, there really wasn't a cathartic release that I needed to feel like it was all worthwhile. Many characters walk away unscathed after treating people horrifically, completely escaping their comeuppance. The final episode felt particularly weak, petering out with an eye-rolling non-ending that just didn't make sense. The series definitely starts stronger than it ends. It's a solid horror with roots in both American history and the supernatural. Its purpose is to get you squirming in your seat, and it nails that. Unfortunately, it's an extremely dour ride, putting your head under its boot and never letting up. The side characters that never see justice will leave you wanting, and the supernatural aspects didn't hit the mark. If you're a masochist or love the undertones and style of Jordan Peele's films, I'd give this a shot. Episode 5, I think, will be the turning point in which you either dig your heels in for the duration or switch your device to something a little more lighthearted. The last thing I saw this week is Bob Odenkirk's action star turn, his unlikely action star turn in 2021's brand new movie, Nobody. Hey, I have an idea. How about I make that lasagna that you love tonight? You know, from scratch, like I used to. I used to work for some very dangerous people. They came after my family. They stole my kitty cat bracelet. And you don't do that. Give me the kitty cat bracelet! Odenkirk plays Hutch Manziel, a mild-mannered number cruncher for a machinery company, and finds himself on the barrel end of a feud with a powerful Russian crime syndicate after he steps in to protect a young woman from the crime boss's brother. Between Mr. Show, Breaking Bad, and Better Call Saul, I've seen a ton of Bob Odenkirk, and in all of that time, never once did I think to myself, he would make an awesome action star. Well, I'm saying it now, Bob Odenkirk was badass in Nobody. Nobody and John Wick would make a perfect double feature, and almost have identical plot points. The story is one that you've seen a thousand times, but that's not really why you're watching this kind of film. You're watching for the action, the explosions, the gunplay, and there's tons of that. The film was directed by Ilya Neischeller, who directed the innovative first-person Bonanza, Hardcore Henry. So going in, I knew the action was going to be top-notch. People are blown up, cars are flipped over, arteries slit, nail bombs detonated. There's even a homemade rebar rocket launcher that comes into play. Christopher Lloyd is here too, and he has some badass moments as Hutch's shotgun-loving father David. It all looks great, the cinematography, it's shot really well. It's just a good-looking movie. After a sweet car chase set to Pat Benatar's Heartbreaker, the flick charges towards a vicious R-rated Home Alone setup that had me and the bad guys in stitches as they fell into each one of Hutch's carefully produced traps. It's hard to critique a movie like this because it's literally giving you everything you paid for. I guess if I had to, had to give something I wanted to see out of this film, I would have liked to see more interesting bad guys or at least more variety. They're all just, uh... Russian suits that are very paint-by-numbers. There is a black Russian in the film for a very short time. I would have liked to see more of him. Uh, the whole Russian gang motif has been done the same way a hundred times, and it's it's no different here. Nobody is an awesome action romp that fans of the genre will love. It's like a mashup of Falling Down, John Wick, and History of Violence. So, if you like those movies, 
you're in. I highly recommend it and cannot wait to add Nobody to my Blu-ray collection. Go and check that out now. It's on video on demand or in theaters if you got your vaccinations. The best man at my wedding, Sean Aguilar, he's ready to talk some documentaries. But first, let's hear from today's sponsor. Whether you're in a theater or in your home, you want the sound cranked up to 11. Unfortunately, millions of wig-wearing people are afraid to do so because it could literally blow the hair off your head, leading to embarrassment and your hair in other people's popcorn buckets. If you're one of the millions scared to listen at the volume your ears desire, it's time to call Maury from Maury's Wigs. Don't buy wigs that come off at the wrong time. Maury's Wigs don't come off, even underwater. And remember, Maury's Wigs are tested against hurricane winds. Don't forget about money. You can afford a Maury wig. Price to fit every budget. So call me now. You heard Maury. Call 212-555-HAIR or head to the shop at 26 Queens Boulevard next to the Sweet Nightclub and tell them the Force 5 sent you for 50% off of your free wig fitting. Now, on to some doc talk that's going to knock your socks off. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. Joining me tonight, just a hop, skip, and a jump to the south near Fresno, California. One of my best friends of all time. You've heard him mentioned many times on this here program. It's been a long time coming because he's the Force 5 self-proclaimed biggest fan, Sean Aguilar. How's it going, man? Oh, man, it's going great. I'm living the good life, and yes, self-proclaimed uh biggest fan of this podcast you know you know i listen to it every monday i text you every monday morning oh my god indeed i love this podcast (laughs) so much so much sean aguilar the director and editor of the telly award-winning tv pilot clarks the director and editor of toast the movie (laughs) one half of aggieberg productions and writer of the acclaimed yet still unproduced screenplay salad days (laughs) what did i miss no i think i think you pretty much summed up my career with with all of those right there that's that's exactly (laughs) it that's to a t uh salad days uh you know it's been on the back burner for about 20 years and uh (laughs) You know, we, we, we have some nibbles, we have some bites on it, so I'm pretty sure it's you know it'll be made here pretty soon. Keep your ears and eyes peeled for that one, for good old salad days. That one's coming. My ears will be peeled. For those <laughs> folks who don't know your taste in movies like I do, mm. what are some of your favorite films of all time? My favorite film of all time is Heat. I mean, Heat cannot be beat. That That is a trademark thing that I'm making. Heat cannot be beat. The Heat with Sandra Bullock? He, no, 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 no. How dare you? <laughs> Don't, no. No, you do not talk about Heat like this. Heat, one of the best, I mean, not one of the best, the best scenes of all time. Oh, my gosh. I, it was funny because I was actually looking this up uh, recently because I've seen Heat. I mean, even though it's, what, it's probably, it's, you know, three hours long, but I've seen it, um, man, so many times. And I was looking it up and... I think it was either like a week or like a the month a month before that um Toy Story came out and you know oh, like yeah. I, like you know like you know my mom she always took me to to go watch movies so yeah my mom and I we would always go to go to the theaters all the time and I remember you know when Toy Story came out it was oh this is the first movie that's you know it's made made by a computer and and like that was always ingrained in my brain like oh wow you know cuz I never really thought about 
you know, how movies were made, I just thought, hey, you know, I, I, I like movies. I, I watch them and, you know, here they are. And so that really like ingrained in my brain. Oh, yeah. Hey, movies are made. There's people that make these things, even though Toy Story was a computer. So um, Heat was literally, I, like I said, I don't remember exactly. It was either like a week or maybe a month after that uh, Heat came out. And I was literally in theaters just thinking, how did they make this? Like, oh my gosh, this is this is just such a such a well-made film. So that's always uh, that's kind of how it always got my brain working. My brain works more like, okay, how how do they make this? How did this work? Your brain? Well, people people really, I don't think people really realize how into movies you are. I know they can probably tell it from this podcast, but like the fact that you can watch a movie. And you can recite to me things that like I'm like, dude, I, I I forgot that like 20 minutes after watching that film, and you'll be like, oh yeah, <laughs> that guy was in this and this. Like you're 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 the human movie database. I don't think people realize like how much you watch movies, but that's the thing. Like my brain was always when I was watching movies, it was more like oh, how did how did they do this? How like how did this? Oh man, that's how did they get that shot? Heat's a good one. All made by computers. No. No, no. <laughs> that's Toy Story. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. Toy Story. Yeah. He, he, uh, President Palmer, man. President Palmer. I would say that just in terms of my movie watching, I think if you took the years 2002 to 2009, I'd say probably 95% of my movies that I saw during that seven or eight year span were next to you. Yeah. I mean, we, we watched a lot of movies, and that's a that's a thing that again, I don't think people realize how big of a movie fan you are. This is the guy that went to IKEA and bought a dresser, and I, I'm I'm not, I'm not talking like a small dresser. I mean, a double stacked long dresser, literally just to fill just to fill it up with movies. Like that's it. Remember that dresser I forgot that about we that. had? It was just, it was literally <laughs> packed to the gills. Of movies, I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of movies in there, and yeah, that, that, that's literally what we would do. All right, what are we watching tonight? And you'd throw something on there, and I'd be like, "Awesome, this movie was great." And then we would just find, we would just go right to the dresser. Well, I think you're also skipping over the the scientific way that we would choose which movie that we watched. We would take out a pile of like four or five movies, put them in a circle, put our cat in the middle of said circle. <laughs> And whichever they walked over to get out of the circle, that's the film that we watched that night. So thanks, yeah. Pete. Yeah, good old, good old Pete. Hey, rest in peace, Pete. We love you, all right? Good old Rest Peter. in Pete. We're not talking about Cats, Toy Story, or Heat tonight. We're talking about documentaries. Yes. And specifically, we're going to be doing five documentaries that made you feel blank. And we're going to fill in that blank with an emotion. So why this topic? As far as movies, um, I mean, personally, I love how, you know, documentaries are the most raw form of somebody, you know, saying, hey, I have something to say. Listen to me for 90 minutes. I mean, that, that, that literally is exactly, you know, a, a movie in its most uh, raw form. The documentary that you and I have both have both watched and we both kind of we both feel the same about it. Dear Zachary, that that's one oh, that, yeah. you know, that we always. uh we always mention it's one of the um, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. That movie are, uh, makes you feel a certain way, and I, I won't spoil how how it makes you feel, but that's kind of where I came up with this with this list. Man, what are some other documentaries that uh, that that made me feel? Thus, the list was born. 
And if you want to hear my thoughts on Dear Zachary, it was on my list of films you can only watch once. Yeah. So rules of the topic. I know we, in private, we kind of outlined some rules for this show. What are some of those rules that you imposed on me and yourself for this? Okay, so so it has to be something that has been uh, distributed. So it can't be just some random thing on YouTube. It has to be uh, distributed. It can't be a series. And also, uh, no sports. No sports. Not because I hate sports. Quite the opposite. Because I love sports too much. And every single documentary I watch on sports, I'm always like, oh my god, this is, this is so great. This is so great. <laughs> And, it, and, you know, it's, it, it probably isn't, but still, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is such a great documentary on this 1952, you know, Cuban soccer team. It was such a great, like, no, it's, it probably isn't. But, um, yeah, so no sports. That was kind of uh, the, the kind of the rules that we that we set. Cool. So don't write in and say you forgot Tiger King because we didn't. And don't write in because we didn't say hoop dreams because we didn't. Yeah, for, just just don't write in at all unless it's positive. If if it's something <laughs> negative, just keep it to yourself because nobody cares. <laughs> oh, Sean Aguilar, let's get to the list. <laughs> you know what's gonna happen? Mm. You know what's happening right now? Huh? You know what's gonna happen? No, 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 no. What? You just made the list. Mm. Top five. Top five. Five documentaries that made you feel blank. What's your number five, my friend? This one actually made me feel in awe. This one made me feel like uh, like I was on the inside of something. And this, my number five, is an awesome documentary called Exit Through the Gift Shop. Now, Tate Britain in Pimlico refused to discuss security arrangements today after a graffiti artist known as Banksy was able to leave one of his own paintings in the gallery's landscape room. I hear about this Banksy. Who's Banksy, Banksy, this. And I said, I really like that guy, you know? And it's like, uh, I want, I want, I want to interview this guy. For those who haven't seen it, um, I can describe it like this. It is a documentary about a guy who was making a documentary about a guy. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's it. Everybody knows who Banksy is. So I can throw that name out. Banksy uh, was the director of this documentary. Um, it starts out by uh, this guy, Terry. Terry is just fascinated with filming. He's fascinated with street art. Street art at this time is, you know, getting more, I guess, mainstream, if you'd call it. And um, Terry, you know, Terry has that one guy that he wants to figure out, okay, how can I record this guy, Banksy? And then he ends up meeting him through, uh, you know, through his cousin. It, it, there's, it, it's the wildest ride. You have no idea where this documentary is going, but it, it is so well done. I love the fact that it just takes all these turns and, and it's a documentary about a guy that started to make a documentary about, about Banksy and then Banksy makes a documentary about him. It's, it, it's fascinating. Definitely highly recommended. Exit through the gift shop. I love it. I need to rewatch this one. I, Such a good one. it's been a long time since I've seen it. It's, it's, oh, it's so good. And I know that there's, you know, people didn't know, oh, well, is this real? Is this something that, you know, that Banksy is, you know, is it a hoax? I know you love your hoaxes. I do. Man, I love a good hoax, but I'm pretty sure that that it's been debunked, you know, that it it is a real thing. 
it was made in 2010. It was made with the, I mean, with just the shittiest cameras possible. So it, <laughs> it, watching it now, it, it doesn't look, you know, anywhere near as probably I thought it looked, you know, back then. It doesn't look very good. I'll give you that much. But um, damn, if it's not uh, entertaining. Oh, it's, it's, it's such a good one. So, yeah, that's my number five. Exit through the gift shop from uh, 2010. Well, I guess I'll go along the same lines with the emotion of awe. This one actually made me feel what I call speechless. And it's from 2012, The Act of Killing. So for those who aren't aware of The Act of Killing, between 1965 and 1966 over in Indonesia, there's this movement called, it's, it's, it's called like the 30th of September movement. And they attempted a coup of their government and essentially began this anti-communist purge that killed at least a million people. Some estimates show like three million people killed. And one of these death squad leaders is named Anwar Congo. And the director, Josh Oppenheimer, he sat down with this dude and essentially allowed him to recount his experiences with killing for his cameras. And then Joshua Oppenheimer reenacted the scenes using the style of some of this dude's favorite movie genres. So Westerns, musicals. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And And it's weird because at first this dude's just loving it. Like he feels like this movie star. Then he's asked to play the victim in one of the scenes and things take a turn. And it's really a it's a beautiful looking movie, but it's juxtaposed with this horror that you know, this dude himself, I think they say he himself killed like a thousand people. Yeah. It's so haunting and so terrifying. And still nobody's been held responsible for these horrible acts. It's one of the few documentaries that's left me speechless. Uh, Dear Zachary was one of them. And this one is one of them in that same category. Like, I don't want to see it again. Yeah. But I think yeah. everybody should see it at least once. Yep, agree. He followed it up with a with a companion piece called The Look of Silence in 2014, which is not as powerful, but you got to you got to watch The Act of Killing. It's educational, it's also beautiful, and it is haunting. Definitely made me feel speechless. I would say my number 4, I guess kind of along the same lines, not really uh on that uh scale, but this one actually made me feel um despair. Um, I watch a lot of documentaries about musical artists, about uh, musicians. Um, I only wanted to put one on my list because I have a lot. Um, and the one that I decided to put on my list is my man Avicii, Avicii True Stories. Some of us dance and sing to ABBA and Avicii. When I came home, I realized this was an idea that had something special. <laughs> I have a lot of time. With levels, everything just kind of took off. I heard it, I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. He's doing this as Bach did what he did. So talented, man. I was, you know, having the time of my life. The hottest acts in music. Tim, how is it to be you? This one made me feel um, despair. Have you seen Avicii True Stories? I have not. Well, you know about Avicii, right? I do. Uh, Avicii, you've you've heard his songs, you've heard his music. Uh, he's he's worked with you know the top uh, producers, the top artists around, and I I loved Avicii since he came out. I I honestly consider him uh, a modern day Mozart. But this documentary is actually really cool because it doesn't really follow Avicii. 
it follows Tim. It follows, you know, the, the guy behind the moniker. It, it makes you feel despair because of the fact that this is a guy that had, I mean, so many talents. Um, he, he, he really, to me, was the best at what he did, but he had so much anxiety, just, just a lot of demons that he had to deal with, and fame just was bestowed upon him, you know, at a, at a really young age. He had everything that he, you know, that you, you would want, you know, I guess you would say, but he hated doing his shows. He hated doing his concerts. He, he, that, he didn't get into music for that. And this documentary is really cool because it actually shows, you know, kind of behind the scenes, um, the director that directed it, actually, he followed uh, Avicii around for, for four years. So he has all this, I mean, behind the, behind the scenes footage. When this documentary first came out, uh, it actually came out before Avicii had passed away. So if anybody, you know, I mean, that's not a spoiler. Avicii, you know, he committed suicide. Um, I watched Been some it. years now. Yeah, he, he, he passed away in, I think, uh, 2018. It's so sad to see somebody that is just so talented. Once that machine of fame gets a hold of you, um, it, just, it just felt like he, you know, he, he lost control of, his, you know, of really what he wanted to do. It's, it's a great documentary. Um, highly recommend it. It shows the other side of, of him, of, of Tim. And I think that's how people um, can remember him. That's my number four, uh, Avicii True Stories. It's, it's so good. Um, well, that one made you feel despair. I guess I'll go to a similar emotion here with a documentary that I wrote made me feel pissed off. And that's 1996's Paradise Lost. Ah, uh, yes. In a statement given to the police and obtained by a Memphis newspaper, 17-year-old Jesse Miss Kelly allegedly confesses to watching two other suspects choke, rape, and sexually mutilate three West Memphis second graders. The murders had been part of a satanic ritual. Satanic worship. A horrific, ritualistic sacrifice. We're just sitting on the couch watching TV the night we were arrested. They had to find somebody to pin this on. This club list was getting out of hand. Paradise Lost is one of the first documentaries that I remember getting a lot of attention because I wasn't really like going to movies and stuff when stuff like The Thin Blue Line was coming out. And in 96, Paradise Lost was getting a ton of a, a ton of press and a ton of attention. The full title is called Paradise Lost, The Child Murders at Robin Hood Hills. It follows the events of the West Memphis Three. They, they basically took these three kids, high school kids, and said, you did it because you have black hair and you wear black clothes and you wear heavy metal t-shirts and you like Stephen King model uh, novels. So clearly you did this as Who a doesn't? satanic ritual. <laughs> yeah. It's this account of police incompetence and police coercion and civic hysteria in this Bible Belt town in Arkansas that by the time it was all said and done, there was two sequels to this. There were other documentaries about it. Metallica was involved. People in Hollywood were trying to get these kids a fair trial, and they were eventually freed, but this case stole 18 years of their lives from them, and this is the first account of the trial that they went through. There was two separate trials. There was one for uh, one of the kids. I think it was uh, Jesse Miss Kelly was first, and then Damian Eccles and Jason Baldwin were second. So it kind of walks you through that. One thing I really like about this documentary is that the filmmakers somehow managed to present evidence without taking sides. 
Uh, a lot of documentaries, yeah. specifically Michael Moore films, they have a very, very hard slant on what he's trying to portray. And in this one, it's like, here's the evidence. You take the facts and you form an opinion based on what I'm putting out there. It's just a really interesting look at boiling it down how fucked up our justice system can be. So it's uh, Paradise Lost, the child murders at Robin Hood Hills from 1996 from uh, Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky. That ties in perfectly to my number three. That's a, a perfect segue. I love this, me some segues. Yeah, this documentary uh, made me feel bitter. It made me feel exactly the same. Everything that you just said, just re-record that and put that on on my uh on my vocals right here because my number three is a documentary that came out in 2016 and it is uh it's called uh 13th one out of four human beings with their hands on bars shackled in the world are locked up here in the land of the free khalif browder was walking home from a party when he was stopped by police then they said we're going to take you to the precinct and most likely we're gonna let you go home, and then I never went home. 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. There are exceptions, including criminals. The loophole was immediately exploited. It's a documentary about the 13th Amendment and how you know, slavery was supposed to be abolished by the 13th Amendment, uh, except, except, except for as punishment for a crime. This documentary basically just goes through and talks about, uh, I mean, it starts from, you know, pre-Civil War. It, I mean, it, it goes back to, you know, slavery and then Civil War and then, you know, civil rights and then, you know, modern day mass incarceration. It's so well done. Um, you know, no matter what your feelings are on the t on the topic, it, it's a really great eye opener for anybody. You know, watching it, um, you know how in 1970 the prison population was 300, you know, 357,000. Uh, in 2000, over two million. And it they just talk about how you know here in the U.S. we have five percent of the world's population, but we house 25 percent of the world's prisoners. A lot of people think, oh well, you know, it's it's the Republicans who started this, or it's the Democrats that started that. But um, this this film, I think, does a good job by explaining, like, hey, it's kind of everybody that's in power. You, they're trying to tilt the system in their favor legally, and I, I say legally, mm -hmm. you know. And um, it's just it's 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 really well done. Uh, it's 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 shot really well. There's there's um, there, I mean, there's these awesome uh, montages that shows, you know, like present day, and then past and i mean it's it, it's it's just such a perfect comparison of how things don't change and how even when this documentary was made in you know 2016 that was kind of the start of you know black lives matter you know that movement george floyd was later i mean obviously you know i don't need to to talk to go in detail about how everybody knows how fucked up shit is so um 13th just it does a really good job of of just kind of explaining that and just explaining how things started and how we got to where we are now that's my number three 13 if you haven't seen it you should watch it. it it is it is a really really good doc i'll go with my darkest one and then we'll kind of work our way into happiness here because yes. i feel yeah. like my my first two dealt just like with murder <laughs> yeah. 
this one doesn't deal with with murder, but it it is one that made me feel terrified. Yeah. It's from 2015, directed by Rodney Asher, The Nightmare. I had zero control over my body. Like, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't move my arms, my legs. I would try and fight it. It was just so strong. And then you wake up and you're totally paralyzed. You can't move. This documentary focuses on people who suffer from sleep paralysis. If you're not familiar with that is, it's a phenomenon in which people find themselves temporarily unable to move, speak, or react to anything while they're falling asleep or awakening. So it's like your senses are all there, but you can't do anything. Oh, gosh. And occasionally, this paralysis is accompanied by physical experiences or hallucinations that can terrify people. So... You are frozen, can't move, and hellish things are happening around you that can be voices or figures that you see Ugh, or ants. Just you're hallucinating. It, 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 ants, <laughs> that's the most terrifying thing. And you can't do anything about it. It's got more reenactments than I typically like in my documentaries, but they're specifically effective in this one because Rodney Asher really plays up the horror aspect. It's less of a traditional documentary in that there's no scientific explanation going on of the condition, but it's more of interviews with people who are able to tell their stories about how sleep paralysis has affected them. So you'll have somebody talking about things that they experienced, and you're seeing those manifested on screen, and it's absolutely terrifying to think that, yeah, every time you go to sleep, you could have one of these attacks for Who knows how long it's going to last? People describe it as they know what it's like to be in hell for a few moments. The visuals accompany that. So you have a person that lays down on the pillow and then these like shadowy figures walk into the room and start distorting. I'm thankful that I don't have to deal with this. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, not something to watch while you're about to go to sleep. Like some people put Netflix on and they'll just put something on while they're trying to fall asleep. Not one of those. Not this one. Okay, so don't watch this with my kids. Or, or should I? <laughs> the nightmare. Not unless you all, you want all, what, seven of your kids, eight of your kids that you have now uh, sleeping in your bed with you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking up some images for, uh, from this uh, movie, and I, 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 honest, I honestly wish that I didn't. It's, it's Wow. And I'm not even watching the thing. Wow. Yeah, it's Nightmare Fuel for sure. It's terrifying. The Nightmare from 2015. That's my number three. Ooh, man. All right. Like you said, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I want to get a little bit more. I want to kind of go, you know, a little bit more uphill. I want to get us a little bit more happier. Uh, this isn't the one, though, that's going to get us that happy. <laughs> uh, but uh, this documentary uh, is near and dear to my heart. I honestly think that this documentary is the reason why I actually got my wife into documentaries. I had uh, saw a trailer for this documentary. This was this came out in uh, 2010, and I said, "Hey, we got to go watch this movie." It was uh, very limited release uh, in theaters, so we actually we had to drive to watch it. It made me feel uh, anxious. Uh, I would say it it makes me feel anxious and dismayed. Uh, but that would be uh, 2010s. Catfish. Megan isn't a dancer. She sings. 
Her sister is an artist. This is the painting of Angela that she did. That's the mom? Yeah. Wow. I know. She's hot. The Facebook family. That's what we'll call them. I really care about this girl. I've had a real conversation with her. So you're full on going out? I guess I don't know that much about her. I don't really want her getting hurt. I'm not getting hurt. So what's the next move? I think we drive up to Megan's farm in Michigan. This documentary, it's it's funny because if you watch the trailer, I remember when it when it came out, uh, it looked more like horror. Like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? Like this guy's gonna, you know get murdered um he doesn't obviously but basically i'm sure everybody knows you know uh the story of catfishing and catfish uh, but basically it stars a, a photographer his name is neve uh he starts really getting heavily involved in um in dance or you know basically taking a photography of dance of ballet and things like that um, one of his photos appears in the new york sun three months later he receives a painting of his photo in the mail and it says that it's from uh, an, an eight-year-old uh, painter named Abby. So Neb starts going through and um, he sends uh, Abby more photos. She sends back more paintings. And then he ends up uh, kind of getting getting uh, involved with her whole family, uh, Abby's mom, her dad, um, her sister, all virtually through Facebook. You have no idea where things are going, what's real, what isn't. It was a documentary that has still has stuck with me since uh well my now wife and i since since we saw it in in 2010 it's a it's a great watch it really is and uh it has it it's where the the phrase uh catfishing you know was somebody got catfished uh that's it's where it came from it came from that movie so that's that's the cool thing that i do like about you know documentaries too is that there's a there's so many stories out there to tell and you'll go through, you'll find these documentaries. You'll be like, wow, you know, that's really cool. And um, this one, it was just a really good story. It's just really entertaining. So that that's my number two, Catfish. Fun fact, I have never seen Catfish. Ah. But I have it in my collection, and I have for years because there was like a mom-and-pop video store that was closing and was dumping all their stuff, and I went <laughs> in, and I think I got it for like a buck. And it's been in my collection for probably ten years now, and I've just never watched it. <laughs> I can so see now it. I guess it's I need like, to. You have Ma. Hey, hey, Paul. Uh, should we should we buy a uh, twenty thousand copies of this movie, Catfish? Yeah, sure, Ma. Go ahead and buy it. <laughs> yeah, two months later, out of business. People love fishing movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should watch it. It's it's. I tell you, it, even now. Um, cause you know, you, you know, I went, I went through and I, I rewatched all these, um, even, even watching it, uh, now it does not disappoint. It, it is such an entertaining doc. Definitely watch it. All right. I'll give this one a spin. On my number two, we're going to try and lighten things up a bit here. It's going to be light for us as, as uh, listeners. It's not going to be as light for the subject of this documentary. And the feeling that I had with this one is that once I watched it, it made me feel smarter and it actually yeah. made me feel a bit better about myself. Uh, not for reasons that I think are traditional. See, in, in the year, oh, what was it, 1999? No, the year 2000, this film came out, which just killed at Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. And uh, it never really had a theater, had a theatrical run. And that movie was called The Boondock Saints, which I think everybody is familiar with. Absolutely. 
Do you ever wonder why the director of this extremely popular film didn't make another movie until 10 years later when he made finally made another movie and it was the shitty sequel to the Boondock Saints? If you're wondering what the hell happened to Troy Duffy, Overnight from 2003 is your answer. From bartender to movie maker overnight, it's a story of the Hollywood dream come true. I hope to conquer the world. This Cinderella is a bouncer from Boston whose very first script landed him a million dollar deal with Miramax Films. And all of a sudden overnight, boom. Do you understand he was on the cover of USA Today? The dream comes alive. Yes. I deserve to be exactly where I am here. Troy, your script is so unbelievable. Who's this idiot? In, I guess it would have been 1997 or so, he was working as a bartender in Boston. On his breaks, he was writing the script to the Boondock Saints. He had these two friends, Tony Montana, just like Scarface. Ah, Tony and, Montana, okay. <laughs> and Mark Brian Smith. And they were going to document, they're just like, you know, they have their shitty video cameras and they're just kind of documenting everything that they do. Troy Duffy trying to break into the business. He also has this band. So these two documentarians are also the band managers and they're just kind of trying to document Troy Duffy's quest to get his movie made. Now, Miramax, back in the day, Harvey Weinstein, yeah. piece of shit, uh, he sees this script and he loved it and he bought the script for $300,000. This is the dream deal for any filmmaker. This is what you and I wanted forever. Yeah. They bought his script for 300K. They said, you're going to be able to direct this film. Gave him a budget of 15 million bucks. And 15 million bucks goes a long way now. Went even further in 1997. Allowed him to produce the soundtrack with his shitty band. He had final casting approval. He had final cut. And the bar where he worked... They even said they're like they're gonna buy the bar for him, the best deal that you can get. And these two filmmakers, his friends, they're gonna like document this whole process. It's gonna be awesome. Actually, they end up filming this guy <laughs> tanking his career, abusing everybody around him, and alienating everyone around him to the point where Miramax ducked out of the deal completely blacklisted him from the entire industry to the point where he still got to make his movie, but the film was dumped into theaters, made like 25 grand in theaters. His band's record came out, sold under 700 copies. <laughs> and the film blew up uh, like in the home video market and got super popular it, you know, at blockbusters and DVD sales, none of which were in his deal that he signed. So he got no royalties from any of the home video stuff. This is an enlightening documentary about this dude as an extreme egomaniac who burns every single bridge he comes across. So you hear him on phone calls with executives in Hollywood and, and he thinks he is the, f he just thinks he's the shit. He's like, they don't know who they're fucking with. They're going to be apologizing to me. They're going to be paying me for years. And it took him like 10 years to make the sequel to Boondock Saints, which was terrible. And I don't think he's been involved in anything since. So as an aspiring filmmaker, I watch Overnight and it makes me feel better. I know that my journey would be a little bit smoother than Troy Duffy's journey. <laughs> it's such a wild ride, though, to see him go from nothing to having a barbecue with Mark Wahlberg and John Goodman there 
to back to nothing, essentially, <laughs> because yeah. he is just... And there's such a sad scene where these guys who have been with him for the, the whole time, like they finally, Troy Duffy and his band get this band deal, like to put out a record. And these guys who have been documenting everything for so long, he's basically like, you're, you're not getting paid for anything. This is the band's money. The band did all this. And they're like, well, you, you owe us something. And he's like, no, I owe you nothing. So they put out this documentary. Uh. <laughs> documentaries like that i love because you know how obviously when you know when they started filming this it's like nobody knows how a documentary like this is going to end up that's what i love about documentaries how there's always one or two things where you know nobody could have predicted this or that and then there's just that those things that happen and they're like i cannot believe that people are actually recording this like right now and then when you see the final like the final thing you're like those lucky bastards. Well, obviously, you know the people that uh, the people that that this dude was uh, was talking to weren't weren't very lucky. But uh, man, overnight, good good choice. Sean Aguilar, grand finale number one on documentaries that made you feel blank. All right, so let's let's get delighted up in here. All right, let's get delighted. This still is my favorite documentary. I can watch this documentary all day every day. Uh, I love the cinema style. I love just the messaging of it. From 2008, Man on Wire. He said, well, I want to string a wire between uh, the two World Trade Center towers. I knew he was a nut or a con man or something. As a child, I love to climb. Nobody could stop me. If you want something, nothing is impossible. He told me he was a French journalist. It's impossible, that's sure. So let's start working. There's 200 feet between the towers. And there were going to be some guys in the North Tower. The whole idea would be that Jean-Louis would send the arrow from one building to another. What? Man, do I love this documentary. Super inspiring. This guy, Philippe, he gets, he gets it in his brain that he wants to do something. And he just says, yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to dedicate the rest of my life to doing this. And this is what I'm going to do. It chronicles his journey of being a wire walker. And, you know, it, it's really cool the way they do it because um, there is some reenactments in there. But they splice in, um, like, like his actual home videos. So, like, his home movies and stuff. So, you know, you can see him in the past where you're actually watching him, you know, in the past, all these, all these, you know, years before, um, what he ends up, uh, aspiring to doing, he was in a barbershop and he's, and he saw that they were building the, you know, the twin towers in New York and said, Hey, I, I think I want to put a wire between these two. And, and literally <laughs> just like, that was it. That was his thing. That's what everybody thought when the <laughs> yeah. towers were being built. Of course. Like, like, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so bonkers, you know, to, to think, but that's what I love about it. He, he gave no Fs, and he's just like, you know, this is what I want to do. He starts off by, you know, putting wires up in, you know, up in the uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral. It's such a beautiful movie because they talk about how, yeah, everything that they were doing, granted it was, you know, it was illegal. Um, but I like the fact that, you know, that they say, yeah, it was illegal, but, you know, nobody nobody's, is getting hurt by it, and it, it's inspiring people. And there, there's a line in there that Philippe says where he says, you know, if I die, what a beautiful death to die in the exercise of your passion. I mean, that that is just 
it, it is such a it's such an inspiring film. Here I am podcasting like <laughs> yeah. no risk here. Right. If I die podcasting, right. boy, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I mean, if you can podcast while on a wire, then maybe you're doing something, <laughs> you know. But I mean, this, this movie it just it, it's it's so well shot. Yes, there's there's a lot of uh, tension in it because you know it, it goes over his planning of figuring out. Okay, I know that I want to put a wire between the twin towers. How am I going to make this happen? It reenacts that, and and the cinematography of just the reenactments are, I mean, amazing. Everything is all black and white. It's it's done just really, really, really well. Um, the movie literally just starts out. They don't they don't explain anything to you. The movie just it literally just starts out in the middle of them doing what they're doing. Like there's no backstory, just boom, you, you, you get right into it. It's almost like a heist film. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it really is because, you know, they're trying to do something that is, um, you know, that is illegal, you know, yes, it's beautiful and yes, it's uh, entertaining. Um, but you know, it's, it's illegal. You couldn't just go up to the top and say, Hey, I'm going to put a wire here and, you know, just think, Oh yeah, go ahead, buddy. You know, go ahead and do it. If you haven't watched it, um, watch it. You will be entertained from the get-go, from the very, from the very first second. That's my number one. It is my favorite documentary um, of all time. I watch it all the time. From 2008, Man on Wire. Great pick. And you should see this documentary. There's also a live-action film adaptation that uh, starred Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Called The Walk. Yep. That is really good too. So if you want a more like, you know, traditionally dramatic account of it. You can watch The Walk, but watch the documentary too. Good pick. I also kept my happiest choice for number one, bringing everybody back on a good note. This is a film that made me feel happy. It made me feel hopeful. It made me wish that there were more people like him. It's from 2018, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Oh, yes. Almost made my list. Hello. I've always felt that I didn't need to put on a funny hat or jump through the hoop to have a relationship with a child. He was always trying to get a message across in every show. A week on death. What does assassination mean? On divorce. Some people get married and after a while they're so unhappy that they don't want to be married anymore. He was radical. I know everyone says that, but he was radical. They didn't want black people to come and swim in their swimming pools. My being on the program was a statement for Fred. This is directed by Morgan Neville, and it's just about the life of Fred Rogers, the iconic television host of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And when I first heard that it was announced, I was very afraid that they were going to, like, dig up some dirt on Mr. Rogers, right? It was going to be this dissection. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I didn't know this, so I, I thought it was going to be this dissection of... Mr. Rogers, this person that so many kids, including me and probably you, admired and looked up to as they were a kid, but it didn't do that. It was simply a celebration of this man who did so much for so many people, and he's one of the first people to treat kids like people and not right. like, you know, kids. They, he talked to them like he would talk to anybody else, just in terms that they would understand. And it's filled with interviews and clips from his show. It walks us through the early days of his public access programming to saving public television funding by standing in front of the Senate to yes. tell the world how important it was for kids. Oh, that, that scene is just so emotional. The uh, ins and outs of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and how it taught kids lessons 
both big and small. Like he he covered really heady subjects with kids. He talked about war. He talked about divorce. He talked about accepting everything and and loving across all spectrums. My wife and I had the opportunity to see this. This was the first film that we saw in theaters after our son was born. I don't know if that made it even more emotional, but I like hard cried through a lot of this movie in in the theater, and a lot of people did. It's just such a brilliant examination of this kind, gentle human being who just wanted to help, and the world needs more people like Mr. Rogers. Yeah, man, that's what a good pick. Yeah, when you think about, uh, you know, Fred Rogers, that that dude was selfless. I mean, that dude was selfless. He, you know, he knew that he just he wanted to make people's lives better. And um, the scene that you're talking about when he's there in, you know, when he's talking to Congress, um, it's mm-hmm. it's so powerful. And it's 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 funny because like it starts out and you know you, you these congressmen kind of. Um, they they kind of um, they kind of think of him as like a joke, you know. They kind of think of him as oh like, yeah, they're uh, complete you know, dicks to him. Yeah, you know. So and like they have no idea, you know, the the person that that they have in front of them, you know, just like I said, just the selfless, you know, person that's there. They're they're dicks to him at first, but then when he starts talking, and then when they re- you know realize what he's all about, um, you know, you can kind of see that the tide turn. So yeah, that's such a such a great uh, such such a great pick. That that is a, a really really good pick. I had to end it on a good note. I know that you had like your list probably changed multiple times it while did. researching. I know mine did. Are there like one or two that didn't make your list that you that you wish you could have talked about? Yeah, like um, one that I a uh, documentary that I love is you know King of Kong. You know, we're, oh yeah, both, that almost made yeah, mine we're too. Yeah, we're both uh, big gamers. I love that one. Um, I like, uh, you know, I like documentaries about, you know, people, uh, there's one, uh, becoming Warren Buffett, which is a really good one. I didn't want to talk about, you know, like some sad ones, you know, that, that I kind of wanted to, you know, keep it. into like, I definitely didn't want to talk about like the bridge one that really stuck with me, um, called kingdom of us. I don't know if you saw that one. That that's another good one. Um, how to die in Oregon is an, is another good one, but I wanted to kind of keep it a, a little airy. I didn't, I didn't want to keep it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to just depress everybody right when we, you know, right from the get go. Those are just, just a couple that I had. Yeah. King of Kong was definitely on my short list. Uh, I didn't want to repeat emotions. I thought that won't you be my neighbor was way better than Craigslist Joe, which almost made my list. Supersize me almost made my, yeah. made my list. What else do you have to plug, my friend? What do you want people to see of your stuff, or do you have anything to plug? What do you What do you want people to go check out of your work, or maybe somebody else's work? I love that. Are you doing anything, or no? Maybe you're not doing anything right now. Uh, we didn't talk about this pre-show, so no, no we did it. I'm actually in the middle of uh, of creating a uh, an online photography classes. So you know, uh, I don't I don't know if we mentioned it, but um, I'm a photographer, so the, the thing that we need to plug is we just we need to plug this 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 podcast, man. We need we need to get people out there <laughs> listening to this podcast because again, I am the uh, you know self proclaimed uh, number one fan of this podcast, and people need to people need to go out there. They need to leave some reviews. Did did you happen to see that I left a review for this podcast? I did. <laughs> I did, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. So hey, let's let's plug this podcast, man. Since you're here with me, I do think that there is something we can promote that will help out a buddy of ours go see Chronofilm. 
Ah, yes. Worked on by our good friend Andrew Burkham. Uh, it's season one is out now. If you go to chronofilmwebseries.com, really well produced stuff, all shot in Central California, utilizing uh, local artists. So go check that out, science fiction. It's won a bunch of awards online, and it's good stuff. Yeah, it's actually uh, I. Th- think it's included in um prime video i, th- I think you, if, oh, if yeah, you have prime it video, is. i think you can watch it uh for free so that that's a great one that is a great one it looks good too it's not like some shitty web series that your uh, next door neighbor puts out unless your next door neighbor is andrew burkham <laughs> then you know how awesome it is <laughs> it's an awesome web series go check it out chrono film it's on amazon prime yeah big time he's, he's made the big time Listeners, if you want to make the big time, meaning being on the Force 5 podcast, of course, the only requirements are that you love movies and want to talk about them. Come up with some interesting top five list topics and head to the website, force5podcast.com, for the show request form. Please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform, tell your friends, and follow the Force 5 podcast on Instagram and Twitter so you can tell me which documentaries got you all up in your feelings. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some documentaries. Force 5.